to another episode of Check the Method Podcast, the podcast about the artist process. My name is M. Tony Peralta and I'm your lovely host. And today we are bringing you the Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez episode. Edgardo is uh, a writer at Marvel Entertainment. He is an editor-in-chief at Darrow Makes Comics, LLC. He's an art director and owner at Somos Arte and Studio Edgardo Creative Services. And he is also the creator of La Borinquena, an original comic book character that has grown into a cultural phenomenon and a national recognized symbol of Puerto Rican patriotism, social justice, and equality. Edgardo was born in New Jersey, raised in the Bronx, and considered himself a uh, bona fide New Yorican. I, um,. I've never met Edgardo until this day that I that I went over to his studio. Um, I was definitely familiar with La Borinquena. I thought it was such a dope concept, and um, I trooped it all the way to Williamsburg and um, went to his uh, studio, and um, we chopped it up for a little bit over an hour, and um, you know, just kind of discussed a variety of different topics. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode because I did. Anyway, so. Um Edgardo, right? Yes, sir. You know, those two, the D and the G is just really hard for it to go, you know, like back like, to back. Some, some people, some people like make the D silent. So they go Edgardo. Edgardo. Some people make the, the Gardo into Gato. Edgato. Oh, wow. <laughs> some people throw a U in there. Edgardo. I'm like, where the hell did you get the U from, man? Does, do people call you Ed? No, man. They call me actually for short sometimes. My family calls me Eggy or they call me Egg. Egg. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, nah, man, Edgardo. Edgardo. <laughs> Edgardo. Damn. Yeah. Dímelo, Antonio. Dímelo. How's it going, man? Thanks thanks for having me here. Thanks uh, for coming, bro. Yeah, thanks man, for coming really to Los Sures. Yeah, man, it's dope. I mean, uh, the studio is really cool, man. So thanks for having me here. Gracias, gracias. Yeah, man. So can you just start by just giving me a brief uh, background about, about yourself? You know, where you're from, grew up, stuff like that. So I grew up in Nueva York. You know, um, I came from a single parent household. Um, my mom was constantly moving from place to place. By the time I was 18 years old, I lived in 24 different places. Mm-hmm. So I've lived literally all over New York City. Loisaida, South Bronx, Washington Heights, uh, Los Sures. Um, I lived in Puerto Rico for, for a while during my adolescence. Um, but I like to say for the most part that I'm from Brooklyn now because I've been living in Brooklyn for more than half my life. I yeah. came here in 1993 and I'm still here to this day. I was reading uh, your bio that was online that you used to work for El Puente. Yeah. And what's dope is that El Puente, for those that don't know, is a youth community center that has its own high school that has a curriculum centered around um, social justice and human rights. So El Puente is literally like three blocks away. I know. Literally down the, around the corner and down the street. Yeah, and it's crazy because I remember I, I've been in contact with somebody from El Puente, but this is years ago and I, I just don't remember. But it, but when I saw it, I was like, oh shit, like I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the place. I mean, it's literally right there. You pass it when you're, yeah, I when mean, you're crossing the bridge. When I used to work, I, I worked at El Puente for about seven years. So from like 93 to like almost um, 2000. And it was a and it was a dope period in the '90s. There was a lot of activism, a lot of uh, protesting on the streets against police brutality, um, a lot of um, 
Latin advocacy movements. I remember I had friends in the Heights who were part of Alianza Dominicana. Yeah. Um, shout out to Eddie Silverio, you know, and, you know, we were kind of like this, like, all-city kind of Latin movement. You know, I was representing Los Sudas here mm -hmm. in Brooklyn, and you had cats in the South Bronx, cats in, uh, in Washington Heights. <laughs> I used to always call Eddie my favorite Dominican and he'd call me my my favorite Puerto Rican and stuff. Mm. Entonces, but working at um, El Puente was really an amazing opportunity for me because I came right out of Colgate University with this mindset that I wanted to change the world. You know, yeah. as an undergraduate student, I was an activist who stood up against uh, inequities at, at my university. Uh, I, was, I even received the Adam Clayton Powell Award at my school and and for those who don't know, Adam Clayton Powell was the um, first African-American elected official. Pero he was a light-skinned dude. I mean, he looked literally looked like he me, looked, like my complexion, like, like straight, a straight hair. White man. And when he was at Colgate, they didn't know he was black. Wow. So it's like it was like kind of like this posthumous, posthumous mm. like um award that they named it after him. And I received that award for my activism as an undergraduate. So it's always kind of like been in my blood to kind of like um, do something and be involved. I've been very fortunate to have been mentored by amazingly powerful women like um, Iris Morales, who was um, the former minister of education of the Young Lords Party. Mm. Um, with her, I, were, I learned to work on film production. Um, she directed the documentary Palante Siempre Palante. I was also mentored by uh, Dr. Marta Moreno Vega, mm -hmm. who was one of the co-founders of El Museo del Barrio, the Caribbean Cultural Center, and now in Puerto Rico. Corredor Afro, which is actually one of our um, La Urinqueña grantees, that one yeah. of these nonprofits that we support. I didn't know that Dr. Vega was one of the co-founders of El Barrio. Yeah, she was one of the co-founders of Monsieur del Barrio. She was a teacher at the time, and there was a group of young activists that were really like, yo, we need an institution to show our work, to celebrate our, our culture, and, and it, it should be here in New York City. And, you know, they fought to create this space right on Museum Mile, and which is, you know, it's beautiful because it's still there yeah. to this day. That's amazing. So wh what would you consider yourself? You consider yourself, you know, I, I know you're a writer, graphic designer, like what, do, what as a creative, what do you consider yourself? I came up with a new terminology for myself recently. I was talking to my wife, Kyung, because, um, I mean, like you said, I'm a graphic designer. I'm a, I'm a graphic novelist. Uh, so I started refer I like to call myself now a graphic writer. A graphic but I will writer. put that in my in my bio because people are like, but okay, can you see this? Está escribiendo cosas este fresca, you know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay. And and it's a, it's just kind of like I like to say it in conversation like now because it just means that I I incorporate typographic design into my writing. Mm -hmm. So when I'm writing my graphic novels like I do right now for La Borinqueña, you know, I start with uh, kind of like prose, just like a short, like a synopsis of, or an outline of what I want to write. And that's done in, in Microsoft Word, you know, and I go through this whole process with my whole creative team of illustrators and colorists. And once we are finalizing the final artwork, you know, I have a, I, I'm a professional graphic designer, creative director. So I do all of my own production work. I do all my packaging. Mm -hmm. Right. So I take my script and I rewrite my script as I'm doing the actual um, bubbles or the mm, letter bubbles. So yeah. that's why I like to call myself a graphic writer because I rewrite myself. Yeah. So even after the script has been edited by my editor, I go into the art and I'm redoing all the bubbles. I'm rewriting all of the stuff. So I, and, and, and I'm writing with the sensibility of a graphic designer because I'm like, oh, I got to move the text over here so I can showcase more mm, of the art yeah. or I, I just shorten the text here or maybe I should enlarge this word for more emphasis. 
So that's kind of like where where I am now as a as an artist. That sounds like a lot of work, and I know yeah. exactly <laughs> what you what like. I know. Dude, it just it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I know you, exactly you what you're from, talking you about. You do from concept to yeah. like packaging. You do yeah, like you yeah. do like you start at the beginning, and then you have all your team yeah. in between. But at the end, it's you and it's you again. Yep. So, can you describe to me what were what was um, Edgardo like when he was ten years old? I was such a nerd and I still am, you know, uh, with an elementary school that was what, 1980? Uh, what was I super excited about then? Empire Strikes Back, because we went to see that at the, um, I forget the name of the movie theater, but I think it's still there. It's like on 86th and Broadway. Mm-hmm. And it was like a school trip, right? At, around that time, I was living in the South Bronx. I was very much into hip hop culture. Uh, not so much like hip hop music, but more about like graffiti mm-hmm. and b-boying. I had friends in in our classroom that would like start breaking and popping and locking. Yes. Or I had the courtyards of our elementary school always had like literally it was, it was like a like a said so like a gallery because there'd always be a new installation of like beautiful beautiful wild style pieces. And I would remember around that time period. Um, I loved taking my writing assignments to the next level. Every week, our teacher uh, had a teacher named Miss Morales. And every week, she would give us like 10 vocabulary words. And we had to look up the definition of these words so that we could understand and incorporate them into our language. But I would take these 10 words and I would write a story. Yeah. And then every week, I would write a second part to that story or a third part to that story. So I was already, even so in my So you was already writing as a I was a already kid. writing. As a child, I was already, and I was also always writing episodically. Mm. And on in the margins of my pages, I was constantly like um, drawing and doodling. And then it got to the point where a lot of my friends at school saw me drawing all the time. So I, I was poor and I always wanted to buy comics. So if I wasn't collecting bottles and cans to save up enough money to buy comics, and side note, it's, 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 it's bananas that like over 30 something years later, you still get a nickel for that same can. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, 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 man. <laughs> but back then, you know, with like, like, like 10 cans, you could buy yourself a comic book. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Now you need like a hundred cans to buy yourself a, a comic book. Um, but I would, my friends would like literally commission me and they were yeah. like, mira, yo, um, I'm gonna give you 50 cents or I'll pay you a dollar. If you do this comic book of Iron Man fighting Captain America. That's crazy. And I would draw and I would uh, write these stories, uh, staple the books, and then like sell them to my friends. Not even photocopy. Like I would sell them the, the original. So they had one comic. of ones. One of one. I wonder if any of those people still know, have man. any of those. Oh my God. I would love to see that. I would love to see that. Hopefully their mom was like, Mira, esa porquería, bota eso. You know what I mean? <laughs> How And what were your parents like towards you at that age when, you know, you being this kid, uh, showing his creativity. So like writing and doodling and doing all this stuff. So like, were your parents supportive? So I grew up with a single mother. Yeah. Um, my mother actually introduced me to drawing. She used to draw characters for me and we'd cut them out, like make paper dolls and hang them on the tree, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but she was also a clean freak. So I wasn't allowed to hoard artwork or hoard like toys. So anything that looked kind of like, you know, like run down, she would, forced me uh, to get rid of. But then my tia, uh, uh, Lillian de Jesus, whenever I would visit her, she would let me draw. And her husband, may he rest in peace, Edwin, um, they would let me draw. They would let me create always. So it was that family that I had that made it cool to be creative. Yeah. But I didn't know know the language of being creative. You know, like I did, I, at that point, 
had no one in my life who was a, an artist. Yeah. Had no one in my life, rather a professional artist. Mm -hmm. Let me just say that because I had an older cousin who was a filmmaker, but he died at the age of 19. But there was nobody in my life who was a professional artist. You know, yeah. I would literally become that very first person in my family. Yeah. And then after me, you know, like I have a younger cousin. He's a successful filmmaker. Another cousin who is a, 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 a professional sound recordist and, and musician. But it was like, I was like literally the first one in my, of, of my family to say like, you know what? I'm going to work for myself and I'm going to become a creative. You know, it's interesting. We have like similar like stories and backgrounds being like, I was that kid. I, I wasn't writing, but I was drawing. Like, you know, I, um, in kindergarten, I got, a, I, I got in trouble for like trying to draw the teacher. Cause I was like getting, like I was, there was, there was like a group of kids just looking at me trying to draw the teacher and stuff like that. Oh, and wow. I grew up with a single mom, you know, as well. My mom didn't like cut paper um, dolls with me, but she, she was definitely very encouraging to me when it came to art. Yeah, but my yeah. mom got pissed at me one time, bro, because my older brother would check out books from the library. Yeah. And I didn't know. I would start drawing inside the library, page, library book pages. Yeah. Y arrancaba la página. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was like, I'm just making more paper dolls. What's, what's wrong? Yeah. You know, an interesting time growing up in the 80s is that, you know, hip hop was happening. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was it just was literally happening, happening all around us. And, all around and, us. And, and, and by... That's a beautiful way to describe it, right? Because it was experiential. Yes. You know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, mass produced. It wasn't packaged. You couldn't purchase it. You couldn't download it. Obviously, mm -hmm. there was no technology, right? But you, it just wasn't packaged yet. And I said it was it was an immersive right experience because you would walk through the streets of New York exactly hear block parties exactly you'd be like, mira, mira, I can hear that. How far is that? And you'd kind of try to make your way to mm -hmm. get closer to the sound system. Or you would see the graffiti, the wild style pieces on the trains or in the schoolyards, like I was saying earlier. It was it was immersive. Like you just felt it and you saw it. So going back to what you said, that there wasn't any like professional artist that was in your family or whatever. But what happened was when you stepped outside, you had the street gallery. That's true. That's true. And I didn't grow up with a lot of these graph writers. I mean, it's funny, like years later, I'd become friends with legendary artists like Mayor 139, mm -hmm. Crash. Bio nicer of the Taps crew, um, at the Lee Quinones, you know, yeah. Um, but I, you know, it's funny because these are almost like to an extent of they're a few years older than me, but these were the the callejeros, yeah, they were the yeah, ones on the street, iconic. you know, yeah, yeah. doing the thing, and you know, and I grew up a Pentecostal nerd that was at home, you know, you know, reading comics that I would buy at the or drawing my own stuff, and, yeah. I was, and that was the truth, man. I, I mean, like, truth be told. I was a homebody. Yeah. You make it out in casa siempre because I grew up in an era where the Bronx was literally burning. Yeah. Right? I lived in a building on Burnside, ironic, the name, right? And that literally was burnt by an arson. Mm. And it was actually like my neighbors that, that woke us up in the middle of the night. And, and like, I remember my neighbor, Winnie, and her son, Russell. Her son, Russell, scoops me up, throws me on his back, like piggyback. And they, he saves me like by, like, 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 making his way down the fire escape. You know what I mean? So, like, that's the era I grew up with. You know what I mean? So, I was like, you know, and also, like, growing up Pentecostal is a, is a unfortunately, my experience with, with Christianity was very fear-based. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, mira, muchachos, déjate todo eso, que tú, tú tienes el diablo adentro, que el Señor te reprenda, and all this other crazy. stuff. So, it's like, 
that fear stayed in me, so I never wanted to go out. Yeah. But that also fostered my my creativity because I was constantly drawing. Mm. I was constantly in writing stories. Yeah, yeah. And I literally, I remember in Una, I remember I used to live on this apartment on Andrews Avenue. And uh, one of my favorite spots to hang out in the apartment was my closet, right? With the door half open. I would sit in the closet and I would draw all these characters on the inside of the closet door. Wow. Why? So when my mom came in, I could close the door and she would never know that I was drawing on the door. That's amazing. Yeah. So at what point did you figure out and it hit you that what you're doing now is what you want to do? Like, that's a, that's another good question. Um, you know, it was it was it was years after college, you know, because I went to college with the idea that I wanted to be a doctor. That was really? my first idea. I was gonna go because in high school I was uh, um, excelling in sciences. I was uh, as an undergrad. I could guess, as a high school student, I was actually taking college courses at Syracuse University because by the time I was in high school, I lived in Syracuse. So I was taking classes. I was taking physics and biology at Syracuse University as a high school senior. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. But when I meant, when I went to Colgate, something happened and I just started seeing art. I started hearing music and I wanted to be a part of it. I became a DJ. I remember um, uh, a friend of mine who was a junior at the time, Brian Elder, was inherited the, the the university's radio station, getting um, a radio program, Night Flight, which was the quote unquote urban. That was the black and brown um, radio show, but but it was a primetime spot yeah. from 7 to 9 p.m. And it was the most coveted spot on the radio, right? And he inherited that as a junior, but he was like, he was focused on just getting his grades up and stuff. And he looked at me, first year student, he was like, yo, E, you want to you wanna take over the radio show? And I was like, bet. And so all of a sudden, I went from being pre-med to just taking whatever classes I could fill my my uh, my my course load with, eventually I started um, uh, and declared a major in anthropology because and sociology because it fascinated me the whole concept of how societies are shaped, how societies um, evolve, right? And that eventually evolved into my wokeness, like that mm. literally woke up my consciousness. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I started seeing things and studying things, and I was like. Caramba, that's that's my life. Yeah, that's how I'm living, you know. And I wanted to kind of become an active um, player for change, but it wasn't until I came to Brooklyn, working at a Puente, that I started realizing that I needed to become an artist. And people used to walk by my desk all the time, and when I was at a Puente, and they would see me doing the graphic design of a poster or for another event. Because when I worked at a Puente, I was a teacher and I was also an events coordinator. But people would always see me designing, and people would always say, "Why are you?" Why are you here? Why aren't you like working as a designer? I was like, oh, because I'm here because I'm I'm working for my people. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, you can still do work for your people. And I remember like <laughs> my my madrina Iris. How she, old were you at that time? I was in my twenties. I was in my early twenties, uh -huh. right? So I was at a point there from like twenty three to like twenty nine, right? Uh -huh. And I remember my madrina at one point told me, and that was the these were the words that changed my life forever. She told me, organizations come and go, but it's the people that keep the movement going. Mm -hmm. And I translated that as me working for this organization, and which at the time was El Puente, was not going to define how I would become a revolutionary and an active change person, right? It's wherever I was that I could see change happen, that I could make change happen, right? So I don't think I started realizing the potential of my work, honestly, 
caramba, until I was like 40 or 41, mm. you know? And it, it's, it's wild because it felt like all this time I was kind of like suppressing the, the space to be my own creative. I would create at that point um, before my 40, before I was 41, I would, I had my own design studio, but I would always create for other people, always yeah. create for other people. Right. And was okay with that. In fact, I even got to the point when you're a young designer, you get so like triggered when a client says, oh no, tú tienes que cambiar eso. You know what? Camilo Patra. You know what? Camilo de nuevo. You know what? Ese azul. What happened to that blue? Can we go back to that blue, right? At a young age, I trained myself to be desensitized by that. Really? And I was like, okay, okay, all right, right? Because it's like, and people were like, oh man, aren't you upset? I was like, and I was, you know, my response all the time was like, it's not my art. Mm. They hired me to do this in it. That's not me. That's yeah. not mine. That's very hard. You know? Yeah. And as a young designer, you know, you're so attached to what you're working, even yes. if it's a for hire thing, right? Of course. But I had to let that go quickly. And I was just like, you know what? At the end of the day, I just want to get paid and, and take care of my family, right? But it wasn't, it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I started thinking, I need to create for myself. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, I worked with DMC from Run DMC and we produced this, this um, graphic novel series. And I kind of like, 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 found myself in a space where I was creating, but it was still not mine. Yeah. It was still for Daryl. And even though Daryl was like saying, this is our thing, it was Daryl's thing. Yeah. I mean, because Daryl is like, he's an icon he, and, and he will ever, forever be an icon long after he, he, he's on this earth, right? And it was actually like five years ago when I had the idea to do La Kenya that I was like, I'm finally going to create for myself. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, my client is going to be my people. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it wasn't, it, honestly, bro, it wasn't until way later in life that I found that, found that need to finally say, I can make this for myself now. Do you think you was dealing with the imposter syndrome during that oh time? Oh my God, bro. I still feel like I got the imposter syndrome. Uh, every day when I'm in front of the, my, my computer writing or designing or laying something out or, or, or visualizing or sketching out an idea for a new character, I deal with that all the time. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what keeps me relevant right because i mean i feel like weird even saying this because i feel like even saying this it's like almost like conceited in a way but i don't believe my own hype yes which is yeah. very important you know i don't i don't look at my work and be like that's dope <laughs> you know and then think that's it you know when but I was you don't do it sometimes because sometimes i look at something at them like yo that shit is fire yeah but you know what it doesn't sustain <laughs> okay. and then like you know i go back to it and i'm like I should have changed that. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like when I was a teacher, I used to teach young people how to make their own hip hop music. And I used to tell them, and, and, and I feel it's like it, it, it works, it translates to my work now. But I used to tell them, the best song you've written is your next song. Mm. You know, because I didn't want them to get so caught up in their own hype that they didn't grow as, as artists. So with me, I, I feel like I, I feel like I still kind of in, I'm in that space, but I'm always pushing myself because I want to be a better artist. I want to yeah. be a better storyteller. I want to be a better philanthropist. I want to be a better husband, a better father. Yeah. So I'm constantly like thinking like, I'm not there yet. Mm. I'm not there yet. I'll probably be like 90 something and I'll be like, I'm not there yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think having that attitude, which is the same thing I, I do, you know, it's like I don't. Like praise and all that stuff, like that stuff doesn't do anything for me. Like, is I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. To me, I'm happy when people, t you know, like when people are really sincere that they love your work, my work, or whatever, and stuff like that. But I definitely don't let those things go to my head because, like, still inside of me is like this kid, you know, this 
I grew up with low self-esteem. So I'm like, I'm still like that little kid inside. Right. Which, you know, I think like those things just keep me humble. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see myself the way other folks see. Yeah. And I I think for me, I do things and I'm sure you probably do it as well to try to make myself feel cooler or more confident. Like, I wear this hat. Exactly. Like, but if I keep wearing that hat, I'm like, oh, I don't look so cool in that hat anymore. Yeah. I need to get a new hat. Or I wear yeah. these sneakers. Yeah, oh, yeah. those sneakers don't look... Um, I, I feel like I've worn those sneakers too much. I'm not that cool mm-hmm. anymore, you know? And it's always this kind of thing that I need to do something to kind of make myself feel more um, genuine and more more, more authentic. But yeah, and I think, that, I think that's what really allows me to continually grow yeah. as an artist. And I don't ever want to be stagnant. Exactly. And I don't want to ever be kind of like comfortable. Yeah. You know? So how does inspiration show up for you? Inspiration comes from a lot. It's a lot of weird and unique places. They don't always come from the same place. Sometimes they could come from, from new music that I'm hearing mm. for the first time. Like I just discovered this, this band like, like a week ago called um, Balloon. Okay. B-A-L-U with the accent mark N, right? A group of like Puerto Ricans who are living here now in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. And they were like from the island and now they came out here. Um, and I, I, I like to call them, they're like a um, Bioricua. Like Bjork? Iqua. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> <Right>? okay. Because okay. <laughs> like the lead singer, she has some songs where she literally sounds like Bjork when uh-huh. she's singing, right? It's really kind of like ethereal music and such. And... When I hear new music, it just like kind of like sparks these synapses and I start seeing new characters. Mm. I start seeing, seeing new stories, right? And and also sometimes I get inspiration from my own children. Like um, I have a new character that that uh that I introduced in my in my third book. And uh that was inspired by my by my six-year-old son, who literally like he he, you know, one of our grantees, um, actually at the um, Corporación Piñones Integra, which is in Loisa. They gifted me that um, that Vejigante mask mm-hmm. that's up there, right? And then my son took that Vejigante mask and he redrew it into a superhero character. Nice. And then he gave it to me and I looked at it and I tweaked it a little bit and I made that into an actual superhero character that's going to be in, in my next book. So I find inspiration in so many places. Sometimes I find inspiration in conversations. Like yeah. Just, just as I'm talking to you, I'm feeling inspired. Sometimes I'm thinking, like double thinking, like mm-hmm. literally you're talking to me, but I'm about I'm thinking about something else. Or sometimes I like brainstorm out loud. So I find myself to be receptive to to the universe. Mm. I don't want to be closed to anything. So I love that language evolves. Like yeah. I'm old enough to remember when we went from Hispanic to Latino. Yeah. And you have a lot of people that are like all like kind of like bent backwards and all upset about Latinx and stuff yeah. like that. And I'm like, yo, that's just language, man. And mm. language is also something that's always led by young people. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And it's just, I know who I am. Yeah. And if it feels good to kind of like if, uh, uh, address us all as one identity, that's dope. You know, when people ask me, how do you define myself? Like, I'm Boricua. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, you define yourself Dominican. Yeah. You know so, it's just, so it's like, it, and if I'm talking to and it's a generation thing. Most of the times, I'll say Latin. Yeah, you know what I mean. But I, but if it's a younger audience, you know, I'll be like Latin accent such. But I'm open to the universe. I'm open to 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 how it moves. It's almost like how water flows. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I want to be that little that little leaf that kind of like flows with every curve and every kind of like direction that the water takes it. 
Do you think that inspiration comes from a magic place? Like now that you say the the universe, like I'm reading this book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, the lady who wrote um E Pray Love. And she says how like inspiration comes from the like this magic place and it's just like it's just always around us and it's like and it chooses you. I love that. And I then believe, and then it, and the, then the, sorry, and then if you don't do anything with it, it leaves you and it'll go to somebody oh, else. Wow. I love that. I believe that there is a divine energy out there. I believe that unfortunately religion has been and spirituality has been co-opted and appropriated by power structures to serve their interests, you know. And I believe a lot of times that we have to find more spirituality and what speaks to our identity. And in finding that spirituality, we find that magic. You know what I mean? Um, I love the idea that there is this kind of like presence that is bigger than us. I've, I frequently say this phrase, um, you know, I'm going to put it out into the universe. Or when, if I happen to look at the clock and it's 11-11, I make that kind of like, like aff affirmative wish mm -hmm. or affirmative um, statement there, you know, because I believe in the power of, of suggestion. Like if I suggest that this is going to happen and I can manifest this, mm -hmm. you know, and but I also believe that, you know, like there's this phrase that people always say, you know, oh, it's who you know. But I also add to that. It's, it's who you are. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if, if there is magic in the universe and you happen upon it, you have to have the wherewithal to make that magic happen and to keep it sustainable. Because if not, you're right. It will leave you. You see yeah. what I'm saying? And you have to cultivate it. You have to nurture it. You have to love it. And when it's ready to move on to somebody else, you have to be open to yeah. let it move on because you can't hoard it. You can't yeah. just be like, oh, it's me or it's not my Exactly. You know Which I mean? that's one of the things that we deal with now, right? Because the thing, because like the what the book talks about and how many times, and this, you know, like again, I, I think inspiration does come like from the universe and, and from a magical place because how many times have you thought of something that has is probably sitting in your computer and somebody already did it and you don't know that person. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'll tell you something of a magical experience. Um, I'm writing the first issue of La Borinquena and I only had like a few pages of the script done. And my 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 partner, my compañera, she says, you know what? We need to go to Puerto Rico so you can be inspired. Mm -hmm. Right. So she packs us all up and we moved to Puerto Rico for like a month and a half. And it was back in 2016, right? And we're walking through El Yunque which is the rainforest on the island, right? And the four of us are walking through El Junque. Actually, she's carrying my youngest son because he was a baby at the time. And the story automatically came to me. Wow. And all I heard was the rustling of leaves when the wind was blowing through the rainforest and the, and the crackling of the water as it came down the, 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 the waterfalls. And a story came to me, literally. And I, and I literally see, saw it unfolding and I saw it unfolding. And to me, that was uh, a magical experience because I felt as if my ancestors were, were speaking to me mm. because there are all these like um, legends and stories that during the, um, at the Spanish conquest of Puerto Rico, they could not um, at the penetrate El Junque. Really? And it's like almost like that's where like the Tainos went. And also that's where the Africans went. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And they kind of like created all these kind of like secret tribes and secret kind of like communities and, and spaces for themselves. So I felt like my ancestors were still there and were like speaking to me. And it was something magical that kind of like it went through me. And if I, and if I wasn't receptive, yeah, it would have been like a brisa and it would have just like flown over me and continued flying until the next person. So yeah, I do believe um, 
in that in that in that um como digo este, that magical energy yeah. and that we have to be receptors for it you know so when you when you get that burst of ins- that and that burst of energy when that ins- you know like there's things that you come up with an idea but then there's that idea you're like yo it's it's on right <laughs> what are your next steps i do it's like almost like like un baile, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, what was that song? Este, un pasito para adelante, un pasito para atrás. Because I don't ever work on a project and be like, okay, that's it. I like to go back and forth. And, and a lot of my process starts with sketches and continues into writing. Mm-hmm. And then I go and revisit my sketches and go back to my writing. Uh, a good example is um, my third book, my third issue of La Borinquena, right? That one took me three years to write. Damn. Took me three years to write because there was many times I would write it and I was on a roll and then I stopped and I wouldn't touch it for months. And I remember one of our artists, Will, um, reaches out to me. He was like, yo, are we going to pick this up again? And I was like, okay, let me pick it up. So it's almost like I, I start something and my process is not consistent. Because life gets in the way. Yeah. I got to do this with my wife. I got to do this with my sons. I got to, tengo que hacer compra, tengo que cocinar, o tengo que hacer este viaje, or this client wants this. Because even though I'm doing my own stuff creatively, I still run my own design studio, so I still got to fulfill um, clients, yeah. um, you know, what you would call it, at their needs and such. So in this process, in this example, I kept going back and forth to the script. And I realized I must have been in a completely different place when I wrote the ending of the story because I, when I revisited the story um, last year, I was like, it's too dark. I don't like this, right? And I'm rather, when I reviewed the, the script from, that, was, that was last touched last year, I revisited it this year. I was like, it's too dark. I want to re- rewrite the ending. And I completely changed the ending and created more of a, of a, of a, of a positive, kind of like uplifting experience. And I think as an artist, one of the hardest things to do is like, you know, you're working on yourself. And I was talking to, to Kyung about this. It's like, one of the things that we always want to hear, and it's not like, it's not an ego thing, but we want to hear what people think about our art. Mm. It's like, so what do you, you know, you work yeah, on yeah, something, yeah, for you sure. don't just want to put it up there and then that's it. Yeah. And you know how somebody look at me like, oh, that's nice. And then you, you want to hear more than just like two words. Yo, You're that, like, yeah, why is it nice? How does it move you? How is it like, no, actually, you know, experiencing you, right? Like, tell me, right? No, actually, you know, whenever I do something, I'm working on something, I ask people, I ask, you know, the small circle of people that I, that I confide in what do they think about it when they don't like it I'm like all right why mm. like why like you know because I you know my my goal is to make you want to like it mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying and and yeah and some and even when somebody tells you like gives you that yo that's cool and it's just like no like <laughs> that's not good enough exactly. like it's like yeah like that's you know because you like yeah, and you know it's just like I'm I'm trying to make this I want you to love it. Right. So it's just like I'm trying to get to that point. Yeah, so yeah. one of the things I do um like particularly for my writing is that I I work with, a, with an editor who's a lot younger than me, right? She's like almost 20 years younger than me. Um and she's really really tough and I remember she gave me like all these notes and then like she wrote me like the next day apologizing. Oh, I'm so sorry. I think I went too hard on this. Hmm. I, was, I, I don't want you to be, you know, like, and I was like, no, I'm fine. 
Yeah. It's like, I want you to be hard. I mean, because I want, I said, I want this to be. Yeah. And it's kind of like what you just the said. Challenge. Like, I was telling her, I was like, I want you to love this. Yeah. I don't want you this to be a gig just for you. Like, exactly. I want you to feel invested in this, mm-hmm. you know, because this project is more than just printing a book. It's about inspiring a, a people and, and that goes beyond the island. It goes beyond being Puerto Rican. It goes beyond being Latin. It yeah. goes beyond that. You know, so my 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 creative process is 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 always in in a in a in 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 a space that embraces evolution. It's always in a place that embraces um growth, and it's always in a place that it, that that embraces change. And I'm never afraid to change what I already started. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny, man, because not to 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 be able to nerd out. I remember how so many people were angry at George Lucas when he kept remixing and redoing mm-hmm. his movies. And now as an artist that's creating my own stories, I was like, oh, man, I get it. Yeah. Because George Lucas, and I don't know this dude personally, but he must be an artist who really looks at his work and be like, man, I could have done that so much better. Yeah. And how many of us as artists don't think that? Oh, man. I, I mean, well, it's interesting. Maybe the next time I do it, I'll do it a little different. Well, you know? like, for instance, Kanye... Will come will still be changed like the the life of Pablo, his last album. Well, one of his last albums, he he kept on changing stuff when it was already it was already out. It was, it was already, already out. Yeah, when it was a streaming, so it was like, and you will hear little different things. You know, I I don't know. I I mean, there's there's times you just have to let things go and like just like yeah. So that's that's done. That has quieto. You know what I'm saying? Like. I personally don't have that problem because like, and sometimes I wish I had that, that artist gene, but to me it's almost like, I just want to get it out and I want it to be done. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Which is good and bad because sometimes, you know, sometimes something might come, might not come out the way that you envision it. And it's just like, I don't really well, like I'm, it that I'm much. A, I'm in a unique place, right? Then because when I make my books, I do short print runs. Mm-hmm. Right, because I mean, you're literally in, in my office right now. So this is where this is literally where the inventory is. Yeah. Right. So I only do like two thousand of each book. So mm-hmm. like my my first issue is up to close to like twenty thousand units that I've yeah. sold. Right. So every time I send the book to print, I'm like, yo, you change something. <laughs> I could tweak. I could change <laughs> this. I could change that. Wow. Well, the first time I caught mad typos. I'm like, yo, you got it. Mm, you yeah, got to yeah. fix the typos. Uh-huh. You know. Um, and then sometimes I change certain things or sometimes I add more stuff. Like I'll add more pinups or I add more like, or I'll do a different cover. In the, in the comic book industry, there's this incentive that we have called um, variants. Yeah. Right? Where you do a, a new cover, but in a very small run. So it's like, I have a, I have a, a, a group of collectors and fans, right? That look forward. Even though they already got La Borinquena number one, they're like, yo, are you going to do another variant when you yeah. do a new print run, right? And even before you got here, I was looking at some old artwork that I had that I never actually used as a cover. And I'm like, yo, maybe I should make another variant. So I'm constantly, I'm constantly looking at it. But it's like little, little ways that people probably, I notice. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm always changing it. Now, my question is, you said that book took you three years. So yeah, it's the like, latest book, yeah. which is nuts. It's like working three years on, on something and, and, but you're doing other stuff. Yeah. Right. So it's like, how, how is it that, you didn't get discouraged to stop I think, working I think, on it. I think I was discouraged sometimes, right? Because I think that, I mean, there's a lot of variables, right? Um, I work for myself, so I'm not independently wealthy. And I think the reality sometimes is, is that I can't afford to finish this. 
You know, I don't have mm-hmm. I don't have enough money to finish this. I just pandemic hit. I lost a whole bunch of gigs. Now this additional income I was counting on to finish this book doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll apply for PPP loan, and if I get it, then maybe I can finish mm. um the the book, right? Um, but I'm constantly in a space where I'm letting the work grow. Even if it's sitting there and I haven't touched it for months, I know I'm going to come back to it. I've never come to a point, thank goodness, where I'm like, nah, yeah. Con eso ya yo no quiero bregar. Yeah. I always find a place to come back to it. And it could be, like, I find inspiration from, like, like I said, listening to music. Sometimes I'll watch a show, right? I'll watch the show or a movie and I'll see my character. Mm. And I'll be like, well, how would my character navigate in this universe? What would she do differently? Mm. How would she respond in this and it's not like I'm taking somebody else's story and then making that my own. I'm like, watching that story, I'm like, oh, I just got an idea for my story. Dude, I did this, uh, the same thing happens to me. Not in that way, but mm-hmm. it's like if I'm watching a TV show that I think is fantastic. Right. The, the, the excitement of watching something that's so great just automatically start, my, my brain just starts going off with like ideas. That has nothing to do with the show. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It's just you're so inspired by a but that's great what you piece were saying of art. About the magic that the magic is, is everywhere. It's magic is not going to be the sparkly shit that's going to yeah. fly through the air and you're like, mm-hmm. and you breathe it in. Sometimes the magic literally is in a is in a movie you're yeah. watching yeah. right there on your laptop or in your or in your sala. Right? Yeah. And I'd like I think back to a, a friend of mine, right? Uh, it's Puerto Rican punk rock musician. His name and and he now he's a teacher, Carlos Rosello, and he told me this like back in the days, right? He says, "Yo." There's only one song. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He's like, there's only one song. Everything you hear is a variation of that one mm. song. So his argument was like, there's no such thing as saying something is completely original. Yeah. Everything in one shape or form is, is inspired. And what you do is you take that inspiration, but as a creative, you spin it in such a way that when you show it to people, they're seeing something for the first time. But you know as a creative that something in your life experience brought you to be that. That yeah. brought you to create that. It's almost like we we as creatives are, are like filters. Yeah. You know, and we're, we're going to filter out the stuff that's whack, but also we're going to keep the stuff that's good. And the stuff that's good is going to really like inspire us to create something that's completely unique. Yeah. What would you say that it during the, you know, the 24 hours of the day when is your peak creativity time uh, my peak creativity time for me is in the morning in the morning in the morning right um like so what time from so, so i like to get to i like time? to get up um and it's weird right because like our, this reality has been now it feels like almost two years that we've been living through this pandemic reality right um so i would i'll speak in a contemporary sense right i'll get up i'll have breakfast with my family I'll either make breakfast or I'll have breakfast with them or my older son will make us breakfast. So it's like kind of this like constant exchange. Um, and then I come into, into my office and I'll be here until lunchtime and then we all get together for lunch and mm. then I'll come back here and then I'm done here by like four-ish. So if I have to cook, then I'm going to start cooking around four or if I'm going to have to do compra, then I'll end my day earlier and then I'll do, go do compra. Or if I'm not cooking, then I'll, I'll work until I hear the <laughs> on the pared that means I need to go um, to eat dinner and then I'm done That's the only it. time I come here and, and it does happen I'll be in bed and I can't sleep oh, se, mm. me, se me entra la magia sí. and everything just starts spinning 
And I literally get out of bed, come into the office, I'll grab some paper, I'll start sketching, I'll mm-hmm. turn on the computer, I'll start writing. Um, and I feel more comfortable on the on my computer than I do on my phone. Yeah. You know, because like I want to be able to have like stretch my hands mm-hmm. on the keyboard so I can write out these ideas. And and sometimes I'll write myself emails. Like literally, like uh, this is my idea. Like, I'll write myself an email. Mm. So the next morning, I have you wake e- up and write. You say, oh, mira, loco, que me quería yo. So I'll write myself emails. Yo, that's hilarious. And then and then write when I'm ready to write. And I've done this before, right? When I'm ready to write, I go to my um my search and my email, right? And I just search for myself. I search for all the emails I wrote myself, and I'll find all of these ideas that that have been accumulating for the last like. Who knows, like week or, or years. And I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, I forgot I had that idea. As I'm talking to you, I just remembered I have to write myself an email. I had some other ideas that I came up with that I haven't written down. So I like early. And um, and I just and I just realized that as I've gotten er, um, older, you know, that I am more productive when I'm earlier. Because by the evening, I'm like, that's it. Yeah, you forgot that. Yeah, so me like, too. So after need, five o'clock. Yeah, after five o'clock. So, if, so what I, one of the things I've done is I've given up coffee. And I've embraced napping. Yes. <laughs> Me too. So I take a nap. Some real old school. That's a real old guy shit to talk about. That's that goes to show how you know we up there in age. No, but naps are good. Row, Next are really I good. I take though. a nap, but it has to be like around like como la do. Because if I do it after four, then that's mm. going to mess me up for the rest of the night. And mm. it has to be like a 20, 10 to 20 minute nap. Yeah. Because if I go into 30 minutes, God forbid, an hour, I'm wrecked. I'm going to like stay up till like four o'clock in the morning and such. So I even do that. Like if I if if, if I ever want to go out at night, I'm going to be like, all right, let me take a nap first. Because I don't want to be like one of the, the only dude that. Yeah. Like, or, and, and, like, yeah, and yeah. it's like 10 or 11 o'clock and I'm like yawning already, you know. So, yes, yeah, so I'm very productive. During the day, and when I'm productive, I like listening to. I literally make a, a, a my own playlist, and um, it's like I call it my Laborinqueña playlist, and it has everything from reggaeton to like fo- musica folklorica to danza to salsa, and it's my own cultivated playlist with no commercials, and it plays in the background. But then, when I'm writing then I need to have just instrumental music. I was about to say and that. that that's not, yeah, that's not happening when no, you're not, writing. No, I can't. Because then the narrative of the, of the, of the whatchamacallit, of the um, song infuses itself to what I'm writing. I get too distracted. Yeah. But I will listen to artists that inspire me while I'm writing. One of the artists that has inspired me a lot is um, Ile. Um, yes, I heard of them. Ileana Cabra, right? So Ile has an incredible, like, she's like almost like a, an old school soul. Like her music are almost like boleros. Okay. So I listened to her songs and a lot of her songs inspired my, my second book, my second issue of, of La Borinqueña. So it's like, so it's, it's, I have to be in here. I have to be able to listen to my, 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 uh, my music or, and it's either like, 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 you know, musica este caribeña, like to my, to my, to speak to my, my identity. Or if I'm writing, it has to be like um, classical music. Mm. And recently what I started doing, because I have a Google device in here, I started streaming um, public radio from Puerto Rico. Okay. So I literally start streaming public radio. So I feel like I'm there. Yeah. I'm listening to the radio and it's like, and I'm literally listening to NPR that's actually in Puerto Rico and stuff. So um, yeah, so it's, but, but I'm open. I'm constantly like changing. And then some days I'll be like, I'm not going to work today. Like yeah. yesterday we went, my, my wife was like, yo, we're going to go to the, um, at the, um, New York Botanical Garden with your with your tia because we want to check out the Kusama show. So yeah. we went to the Kusama show already, but it was pouring. So we're like, not gonna rain tomorrow. Let's let's go. So we went 
and that was it. That was our whole day. We spent the whole day out. And and that's one of the things that the creative that I, I love that I had this flexibility. You know what I mean? Yeah. Would would you say that this is your life's purpose? Wow. Yeah, I would say that. I feel like I'm doing God's work. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel that like this is the um song um that's 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 really part of like the the civil rights movement born out of the um the black power movement and it would say you know we are the ones we've been waiting for mm. right and i remember it was 2015 chung and i are watching the news and governor padilla was talking about he was the governor of puerto rico at the time oh we had this 80 billion dollar plus debt we're not going to be able to pay this off you know and i was like man nobody's nobody's talking about this Somebody should do like, you know, and I'm an artist. So I was like, oh, somebody should do like a, like a song or an art project to raise awareness. And I was like, this guy. Yeah. I need to do it. And then I realized that I was like, I don't want to make a song because a song is going to be pa pegar pa un ratito and then that's it. After like a couple of weeks or a couple of months, that's it. The song is kind of like gone. It can become a classic, but it's not really going to spark a movement, right? So that's when the idea came to me. See, I grew up embracing hip hop in the 90s as almost like a tool for social change. And then I realized, shoot, I should... I think comics yeah. are that tool for social change because everybody's into the movies yeah. and stuff. So I was like, so let me go, let me go to the source material. Let me make my own comics. And, you know, I was like, dude, as, as recent as like this week, a professor at my uh, alma mater, um, he was, who's actually English, he's from, from, from England, um, Professor Paul Humphrey, wrote a, a, a literary article. Dude, this the article was like 20-something pages long, right? Half the article is about La Wodingueña. Mm. And he wrote it for the Latin American Literary Review, talking about how my my work deconstructs um, colonialism and talks about social change. I mean, he literally took my comics and decoded it because I've always been writing about that kind of stuff in mm-hmm. my comics. And to have an academician take my words and actually now is writing it in these academic journals so that universities across the planet could teach my work. Yeah. That is my life's purpose. Like yeah. I wanted to create art that would inspire. I wanted to create art that would give people um, a level of representation that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to create art that would outlive me. I mm. remember I was in San Diego at the Comic-Con. First time I was ever um, um, going to be awarded anything. Um, and they gave me the humanitarian award at the Eisner's. That's like, Oscars for like comics, right? And they were going to honor me with the humanitarian award. I went up on stage and I spoke for like almost 10 minutes, right? And at that time, there was a massive like revolution happening in Puerto Rico to take down the governor of Puerto Rico, Ricky Rosselló, because mm-hmm. he was caught yeah. on incredible misogynist, incredible like like vi- violent, incredible corrupt stuff. Like all of his all of his documents were like exposed and it was exposed by this the center of, of, of periodismo de Puerto Rico like in this group of women just uncovered mm-hmm. all of his stuff, right? And I was on stage accepting my award but denouncing um, uh, Governor Rosselló that he should resign and that we should stand up for social justice. And then I called out everybody in that room and I was like you're in here appropriating narratives around social justice to make corporations billions of dollars. But social justice happens outside of the comic book panels. Mm. Social justice is demanding that we that we that we get involved in these movements. And I was talking, and I was like, we are literally just miles away from the border where children are being kept in cages. 
and you're writing about how these fictional characters are overcoming evil and overcoming injustices when their injustice is happening in the real world. Mm. How do you apply that to, to, to your real life? Yeah. And I remember I spoke from a place, right? Because I wanted to be in Puerto Rico. I wanted to be marching. I wanted mm. to be on that street, right? So we're leaving to go back to New York and we're at the airport. And, you know, this, this march had been happening for days in Puerto Rico. And there were like hundreds of thousands of people marching. And my phone is like, bing, 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 bing. And I'm like, what the hell? This has never happened before. And I look at my phone. All of a sudden, people were tagging me. People were tagging me. Mira, ahí está la borinqueña. Llegó la borinqueña. And I'm like, what are they talking about? And I started seeing pictures. And I kept seeing this red and blue character in the background. All the way in the background. And it was almost like chronologically, the pictures were getting closer of her, closer of her. And I finally saw this Afro Boricua in her homemade La Borinqueña costume with a big sign with hundreds of thousands of people behind her. Ricky Renuncia. And I was like, I made it. Llegué. And I thought to myself, I got to the point where the art precedes me. I don't need to be there because yeah, I am there. I yeah. created an icon that now is like a part of a movement that people see themselves in, you know. And it's, it's a powerful thing because for that to happen on the island, <sighs> I've also seen it how, it, how it works here. Like, um, I've done black comic book festivals at the Schomburg Center in Harlem and, and African-American families come to me and they say themselves when they see La Borinquena. I've been at events across the United States and Afro-Latinas from like Panama and Colombia will come to me and they'll be like, I see myself. And I want to get you, bro. There was one time I gave a talk at a university and this queer um, non-binary person with blue hair, Blanca, comes to me and she was like, I see myself. That's amazing. And La So yeah, I do feel that this work that I'm doing now is my life's purpose. You know That's what incredible. I mean? And, and, I, and it's, I'm, I'm leaving behind a legacy for, for my family and also for, for my people, you know? So with all the experience that you have, you have like what, over 20 something yeah. years of, of being a graphic designer, a writer and all this other stuff. So like, what is a piece of advice that you would give, um, you know, a young creative that is uh, trying to, you know, it's funny because it's like the word make it doesn't, like yeah. it's because the thing is like I feel like I'm still making it that's like exactly that's I'm what not, I'm saying I, like I haven't made it yet that's, I'm still making but it. that's what it is people you know like people see when you when people see you working and doing things or whatever they, it looks like you made it right but it's like nah I haven't like I haven't made it I'm just working I'm a yeah. working creative artist whatever that's the difference you know, yeah, yeah like I, there's no making like, it cats like you and I right we're making it for ourselves. Exactly. We're not creatives in an agency. Mm-hmm. We're not creatives under a studio. Like, and when I mean studio, I'm talking like Warner Brothers or Disney. You know, we're not, we're not creatives on that level. We'll get hired occasionally by those studios, right? But we're making it on our own. So exactly. there's a lot more of a struggle. It's a big struggle. That that's the thing that that's the thing that people don't see. Right. Right. Like for instance, when you just told me right now that you keep your inventory here. Yeah. Right. So it's just like, yeah, like you are a business owner. Yeah. Yeah. And you're and and you're doing and you're wearing multiple hats. Yeah. Right. I, so, you know what I do? I tell my wife sometimes, después de la cena. And that's when that's the only time I come back into the office. Después de la cena, I'm like, okay, mama, I'm going to the mailroom. Yeah. Because this office, this studio becomes the mailroom. And uh-huh. I open up these these cabinet doors and I start pulling books on and I stuff envelopes and I stuff boxes and mm-hmm. then I feel I call them the body bags. We had these giant cargo bags and, and then my older son walks with them with me to the post office. Yeah. So yeah. This is it. This is the this is this is the hustle. And I think the advice to give young people is that there is 
nothing but pride and working hard. Yes. You know, there is no such thing as a, a, a hookup. You know what I'm saying? People will offer you an opportunity based on the content of your character and the, and, and the quality of your work. They're not just going to give it to you because you mad cool. They're going to look at your work and your work always speaks for you. That's why when I produce stuff, I always think to myself, this has to be the best that I have the capability of producing right now because this work is literally my ambassador. Mm -hmm. It's going to end up on somebody's desk, on somebody's lap, in somebody's office, in somebody's home, and it's going to represent me. And how is it going to represent me? Is it going to represent me in a way that somebody's going to open that up and then reach out to me because they want to work with me? Or are they going to tell people, don't mess with that dude because this stuff is so corny? Yeah. You know, so... The advice is that you have to constantly work at it. And then now it's incredibly cliche, but it's just so much work that goes into doing the, what we do. And like my friend Paul um, said, you know, you know, we work for ourselves, so we don't ever stop working. Yeah. And it's true. I, I'm, I'm working. When I have my phone, I'm working. Yeah. Like, I'm not just like, oh, mira yeah. Esta, mira yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm thinking of a, of a post. Oh, yeah. I got to write this post. Yeah. Oh, I got to promote this. Oh, I got to put this out there. I'm constantly like rethinking, 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 rethinking. And the other day I came up with a whole um, strategy uh, for publicity because I do, I do my own publicity. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, yo, you're always in the New York Times. And it's like, that's me just hustling. Like, yeah. For every New York Times article you see about me, I emailed like 50 other people. Mm. I cast a wide net and maybe only one person actually like writes back. You yeah. know, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work and it's okay to work hard. And I think that's the, that's the thing to understand is like, it's okay to work hard and it's okay to hit reject, get re rejections because you have to filter through that to get success. Yeah. You know what I mean? Edgardo, thank you so much. This was amazing. You know, it's crazy because like the similarities between you and I is nuts. Yeah. I know, bro. Yeah. So. And I can't believe it took us all this time to finally yeah. meet. This is amazing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We should have been boys for like, like 30 years nah, by now. For sure. You know? Yeah, but thank you, man. Thank you for your time. Gracias a ti, gracias a ti. All right, peace. Peace. Yo.